0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Council of Elrond, brought to you by the Melonheads. I'm Johnny and I'm here with my brother Dave and you can find us on any of our social medias as usual in the podcast info section along with our Buy Me A Coffee account where you can go and sponsor us the price of a cup of coffee. And on the show today, we're going to be discussing the famous Swords of Middle-Earth. Let this be the hour when we draw swords together. So, welcome back to all our listeners and welcome if you are new. Today, we're going to be taking a look at some of the iconic blades in The Lord of the Rings. And I want to kick things off by looking at possibly the most famous of all the swords which is Sting. Sting. It's a good name. So, Dave, tell us a bit about Sting. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of this sword? It glows
1: blue when orcs are near. (laughs) Um, it's, It's a small little... Uh, what does what what does the dwarf say in the Hobbit movies? Like it's more of a letter opener. It's a it's a small mm. knife. Um, it's got a real cool elven curve on it, and it kind of looks like it's made made in the shape of leaves. And uh, yeah, it, it mm. glows blue, and it's pretty cool.
0: That is cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of it, like a leaf. Yeah, that's yeah. What it's, it's perfect, perfect for a hobbit with their whole uh, nature loving style of being. So uh, very good, and yes, it's a it's a it's really like a, a dagger. Mm. Uh, it's like an elven dagger that they would have just had like uh, as like a secondary weapon, but it's perfect for uh, for hobbits. It's a perfect size for a sword for a hobbit. So um, yes, it glows blue when orcs are near, as we see in Peter Jackson's trilogy. Well, his trilogy and his Hobbit trilogy as well. So uh, and what's the origin of this sword, ever? Where where do we where was it found?
1: Um. As we can see in the, the Hobbit movies, Bilbo and Gandalf come across it in that uh, troll cave where mm-hmm. Gandalf finds his sword Glamdring as well. So Correct. two of them just left there abandoned handily
0: enough. Actually, he fi- they find three swords. There. Oh,
1: sorry. Orcrist as well, wasn't it? They do. Yeah, they
0: find Orcrist there, which is the sword given to whom?
1: It's given to Thorin Oakenshield.
0: It is indeed. It is indeed. And I, initially, when Gandalf tells him that it's an uh, Elven blade, I think he's like, "Ah, I don't yeah. want that Shite And then Gandalf says, right. like, "You could, you couldn't wish for a better blade, or something like that." I can't remember. He's like, "I could was. wish but, for an axe." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, an axe made by my kin. Yeah. yeah. Now, there is a little bit of confusion as to whether or not Sting actually glowed blue or if it was just a, quote, cold light. But from most quotes in the book, I would say that it had a glitter of blue light around the edge of the blade. But it probably wasn't as blue as it's made out to be in the movies, but that was obviously a stylistic choice by Peter Jackson and uh, their team. So um, one thing I've always thought about like regarding glowing swords is why would you want that? Like imagine you're you're trying to hide from a gang of orcs and your stupid sword keeps <laughs> giving away your hiding place. Like what a what a disaster. Like that's just um something that I've always kind of uh, considered. Like you know you're you're hiding
1: in, in Moria and then you're yeah. like, oh I've got a really good hiding place here and then suddenly there's this big like
0: flashlight going off. Yeah it's like the orcs are like,
1: hey let's go check that out. <laughs> so um it's like if you're hiding from a burglar and you're like oh don't, like, don't give your position away and then somebody texts you and your phone just lights up really bright and you're like, oh, crap.
0: Yeah, yeah. It has that little text notification sound as so well, like, bling. Yeah. you're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's something I've always kind of thought about. But then, like, thinking about it recently, I was kind of, well, I, my conclusion is probably that it was probably typical for the likes of Bilbo or Frodo or any of the hobbits to want to hide and to kind of cower in these situations when the orcs are around. But these are weapons for elves, and elves would never really hide from orcs in most situations. They're kind of they were these blades were made when elves were like trying to go out hunting, hunting orcs them, and yeah, and they were going to kill them. And so um, they were trying to like strike fear into the hearts of the orcs, basically. So the light from the blades made the orcs aware that it was elves that were chasing them and uh, it made the orcs very afraid. Oh, cool, cool. So it kind of like freaked them out. like And these swords as well, they kind of got uh, famous uh, amongst the orcs and amongst different kind of ghouly ghouls. Mm. And uh, they kind of would tell each other about... Remember, we've spoken about this before, how orcs aren't just these idiots. They actually, you know, they can communicate with each other and they can tell each other about... Yeah, I remember you. You told us that about Boromir. Um, it was it was Baromir, after exactly. they would
1: killed Boromir. Mm. Actually, a couple of the orcs were like boasting about it. They were like, "Oh, I, I actually downed that famous warrior and stuff." And that that's pretty cool because obviously there was no alerts in the in the books. Um, of course, yeah. But yeah, so that, that was
0: really cool. That that was a really cool detail that uh, I had forgotten about. So when you mentioned that, I was like, "Oh, that's that's really cool." So obviously, uh, that's one thing that happened with these blades as well. They were kind of famous blades uh, because. Especially the ones like uh, Sting, we don't really know much about. But the other two blades that were found, Glamdring and Orcrist, they had very famous uh, owners before we get into the Lord of the Rings. So these blades were famous uh, for years and years amongst uh, orcs and things like that. And they knew, uh uh-oh, these things are really powerful weapons. They're going to wipe us out. Um, And one other cool thing about the light that is emitted from these blades is that the light actually hurts the eyes of the orcs as well. So we know that orcs, uh, we know how they feel in general about light. Mm. And so this is another thing that was kind of to the advantage of the the wielder of the sword as well, that it would actually be painful in the eyes of the orcs to see this light. So you've got a little bit of an advantage when you're fighting an orc with this blade as well. So um, yeah, that's kind of cool as well. Oh, and one more thing about that, about the, the lighting of the swords as well is that initially when Bilbo was given Sting, he was just given it because it was an appropriate size, but nobody knew it was actually a powerful sword and like a, an important blade that was made by uh, you know the the elves back in the in the in the first age he uh, so when he discovered that it first gave off light uh that's when he realized that he actually had something powerful in his hands and that gave him huge courage and it kind of uh, I don't know he kind of just suddenly he was very scared and then suddenly he realized oh my God I've got this amazing weapon." I can actually survive this situation mm. and he became very courageous in that moment as well so that's another kind of cool thing that uh, the, just the emitting of light kind of uh, showed in Bilbo as well yeah the blade
1: glows blue when orcs are close and it's times like that my lad when you have to be extra
0: careful. Now, of the history of Sting, as I said, we don't really know a lot about it. It it never had a famous owner before. We don't even know who it belonged to before uh, it came into Bilbo's possession. But Sting was made in an elven city called Gondolin during the First Age. And uh, it was discovered during the Third Age. So now we're talking about 6,000 years uh, of it going missing and then finally being discovered. So that's quite a a while. Yeah. Where was a Gondolin? (laughs) where was Gondolin (laughs) Uh, now yeah you're mentioning Gondolin uh, which is a which is a famous ancient Elvish city Mm. and that name might ring a bell because there's actually a separate Tolkien book called The Fall of Gondolin describing the city's fall to ruin and now we can assume that all three swords found in the cave came from Gondolin and after the city was overtaken it was plundered by orcs and trolls and basically the trolls made off with these blades um, because there's actually no account of how they ended up in that cave in all of Tolkien's writing I and mean, in all of his letters. There's, there's Funny, no mention. So, For such important yeah, well, I mean, things,
1: there's no like one line just being like, oh, and they were here because of this or that.
0: It is weird. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, there are some cool videos online of people kind of speculating and they say, okay, well, this place is near to this location and maybe somebody like an orc or a troll probably took it and then they went to this area. So there are some like a people online that have got some yeah. speculations like from well founded places, but uh I'm not one of those people. I don't know. But uh it kind of seems that uh it seems like that they all came from Gondolin. Um again this is not uh definite but they all came from Gondolin and that's and then somehow they all ended up in this cave together. So we'd imagine just some troll just nicked them and he was like hey I'm gonna have these blades and uh toothpicks. Exactly yeah. yeah. Now sting is also definitely a powerful blade. We shouldn't just think of, you know, it's not the size that counts. Uh, we should think like, you know, it is actually a powerful beta. It's what you
1: do with the sword. <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, so one example of how powerful it is, is seeing how easily it cuts through Shelob's webs. When Sam's blade couldn't cut through, or it's really, really struggled to even cut through just one web. And remember as well, Sam's sword. What can you tell us about Sam's sword, Dave? Oh
1: God, I don't know anything about Sam's sword. Um, you do you do do I you do I'm trying to remember um, Sam sword he doesn't get any of the blades that Mary and Pippin get uh, nice shiny daggers I don't know can you give me a hint <laughs> hint uh, me.
0: Barrow Downs
1: oh alright okay. Um, okay so he gets it in the Barrow Downs <laughs> from the Barrowites I don't remember, really, to be honest. I, I was just trying to right. think off the movies. But, um, yeah, is it one okay. of the swords that's, like, laid across their necks?
0: Yeah, so if you remember in our episode that we did on Tom Bombadil, mm. uh, basically, remember there, Tom Bombadil gave the hobbits four swords. Um, uh, Not like in the yeah. movies where Aragorn just shows up with four, like, hobbit size blades. Yeah, and goes, yeah. Hey, I just happen to have these. Here you go. So, uh, actually, in the book's they found these four kind of daggers in the Barrow White's lair. And a Barrow White, for people that don't know, is kind of like a Nazgul. It's this kind of weird spirit thing. Um, Tom Bombadil came and saved them from this Barrow White. And then he gave the hobbits these four blades that were in the the Barrow White's lair. And these were really, really, again, powerful and ancient blades. And in fact, uh, Merry, what did Merry do with his blade, Dave?
1: I haven't a clue.
0: Oh wait, sorry. Uh
1: yeah, Mary's Mary's blade was very important for the defeat of the Witch King. Uh when he ultimately stabs him in the Achilles heel and uh massively weakens <laughs> yeah. the Witch King, which which allows Eowyn to finish the job.
0: Yeah, he stabbed him in his metatarsal. Yeah. He put him put him out of the World Cup. Put him out for uh, at least three weeks. So uh yeah, so Mary was the one that came up and attacked the Witch King from behind, and I believe he stabbed him in the back of his knee. And uh, that kind of weakened his body so much so that Eowyn could come in and finish him off. Mm. And so that's, uh, it's not just a normal blade that can actually injure the Witch King at all. So these were really important blades. And the fact that sam Sam's blade, again, these ones couldn't even cut through a single, like...
1: Uh, thread. Thread
0: of a couldn't web. Couldn't cut through one thread of a web, whereas Frodo's was just there slicing through the webs completely mm. with no problem at all. So,
1: slicing through warm butter.
0: Mm, nice, delicious webs. Um. So we should kind of, you know, give some props to Sting and say it's not just a little uh, letter opener, as they, as you said they called it in the Hobbit movie, but um, it's actually a pretty powerful blade.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking there as well, like, according to Peter Jackson's canon, does that mean that the sword that Sam has throughout the whole movies is just one of those crappy ones that Aragorn throws him? Because Merry and Pippin get an upgrade at at Lothlorien and then Frodo gets Sting, obviously. But does Sam just go the well, whole way through with that crap little dagger?
0: But Mary and Pippins are are tiny, aren't they? They get little daggers that are they're like daggers for hobbits. They're not even just like daggers that they use as swords. That's
1: uh, true. But then like Mary goes on to Rohan small. and gets a sword, and Pippin goes on to Gondor and he gets a little blade, so they do get yeah, upgrades where Sam is just I going I assume
0: the... I I don't know is the answer, but I assume Pippin, when he gets his like uniform mm. to be part of the Citadel. He probably gets given a little sword like... Uh, That's what you know, I mean, I yeah. Say. I was going to say Faramir, obviously we, we were told that he gets Faramir's uh, you know, uniform from when he was a kid. I don't <laughs> know if Faramir would have had uh, a real sword as, when, like, as a, a play toy when he was like... Not a play toy, but it's a old. ceremonial,
1: so he might have had it and just never had to use it. Whereas Pippin actually yeah. gets to use it. Well, Pippin
0: definitely has a sword in Rohan I can't remember if he gets given a new one or if it's just the original one because either way it's not very good because he tells Eowyn that it's not even sharp Pippin and so or Merry? Um, Mary, excuse me Mary, yeah. yeah so Mary says that his sword isn't even sharp and Eowyn is like okay well that won't do we need to go and uh, sharpen it with the smithy yeah but that that's and, what I mean
1: like he gets an upgrade in Rohan so he goes out there do you, but do you think there. that's
0: an upgrade or is that just his original sword? Oh no, I I'd say it has
1: I think it's an upgrade because it probably has like the, he gets Roman art Roman a Rohan armor and like I assume they were uh, like if it was fitted to his size if he, if, he, if he got fitted armor I'm sure someone had a, a sword the, the size for him so and I'd say if he zoomed in on any of those scenes it probably has like little horses around the the hilt and whatnot
0: Possibly. Now I can't remember I don't and, know, um, yeah. I would say that uh, I think book lore. Frodo is maybe one of the only ones that really gets an upgrade. Frodo obviously gets Sting. His yeah. Frodo's sword breaks. But in the book, uh, they all when get
1: nice swords from the Barrow Downs.
0: Yeah, they all get lovely swords. Yeah. Except Frodo's Frodo's breaks uh, when he's um, being attacked by uh, an Asgul, hmm. and then he gets Sting, so he's grand. But the other lads all keep their original swords I mean, because they are. Really powerful swords, and they know that they're powerful. Obviously, in the movies, are just like here, I just have these lying <laughs> around. Get them, and uh, that'll be grand. But um, yeah, so maybe there was more need for them to get upgrades in the in the movies. But I can't remember if they get up, uh, Well, Mary and Pippin, especially, I can't remember if they get upgrades. In um, doesn't
1: show it, but the, the book. Or I not. just kind of assumed. I assumed that mm. Pippin would have had some sort of like tree sword, and Merry would have some mm. sort of horse sword.
0: Yeah. Also, we know that Sam. Uh, at one point takes Sting and wields Sting mm-hmm. when uh, when he finds Frodo stabbed by Shelob so uh, he goes on the you know double sword akimbo yeah. uh, he gets uh, bloodthirsty and he goes out there swinging his swords around like kind of a Legolas dueling the double the, the <laughs> double sword Sting, Sting gives him courage yeah Sting does give him courage as well he goes wandering through Cirithungo so Dave um what is the deal then with Elven Blades glowing blue? Do all Elven Blades glow blue? Um,
1: so as soon as we started off this episode, I assumed this question was coming. Uh, according to Peter Jackson's, obviously not because Glamdring and orcus don't glow blue. But mm-hmm. I think I think like you mentioned at the start of this episode, it's more faint in the books or it's not an obvious like... Then Frodo's sword lit up like an iPhone. It was it was more like, yeah. yeah, the edges were tingling or whatever. He got a spidey senses in his sword. So <laughs> maybe they just don't mention it as much, or maybe they do. Um, I'm sure you're going to enlighten me, but uh, I'm going to say yes to most certain elven <laughs> swords. <laughs>
0: Survey says, yay. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well... There is some evidence that uh, elven swords from the first age glow in the presence of orcs. Uh, So from the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, we can see that Sting was like Glamdring and Orcrist in that they should have had a light or a glow too. So if I read a quote here from the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the chapter A Journey in the Dark, No gleam came from the blades of Sting or Glamdring, and that was some comfort, for being the work of elvish smiths in the elder days... These swords shone with a cold light if any orcs were near at hand. Cool, yeah. So from that, we can see that Glamdring and Orcas should both have had a glow. Yeah. And they didn't do this in the movie for stylistic reasons. They didn't like the look of Glamdring uh, glowing in The Lord of the Rings. And they said that the blue glow actually made it look like a lightsaber (laughs) rather than a glowing sword. So like you can imagine Gandalf with his big, long sword. (laughs) Just like he'd look like, you know, Luke. Well well again like I I think it's interesting for the sake of
1: the movie for Sting to be just a really special sword and you know it's it's taken me like 20 years to actually ponder the question like why does it glow blue or like what is the lore behind that but when you're actually watching the movies mm. you're just like it's cool it's a special sword it glows blue for some reason but obviously when you're de- yeah. when you're delving into the lore uh, you kind of go okay so it's a special elven blade and also glamdring
0: and orcus should have Glowed blue as well, but I don't mind that they omitted mm. that from the movies because no, exactly. And you're right that I think that Sting is the only sword that receives that kind of attention, mm. so they kind of really wanted to focus on that one. They said then, remember in the in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, it was just Sting and uh, Glamdring. Uh, obviously, or- there was no sign of Orcris because yeah. that came in the Hobbit. So, but I'm sure would Legolas have had an elven blade? Um, yes, but obviously not one from the first, first age, age. Okay. made in the yeah made. <laughs> Uh, in the elder days which hmm. is what this is called so that's an important thing it says the elder days and uh that, so it, that's not just any elves making swords yeah uh, you know it's 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 a, it's an important detail and also it's not that they didn't have the ability it's probably just that was a time when they were they were putting these these like kind of uh i don't know these Spends. little details and these spells maybe they're putting these spells these details into their blades, and they thought it was uh, it was necessary. And that time was when they were going out hunting orcs, and they wanted to uh, put some fear into the orcs as well. So that was just a little extra detail that they were like sprinkling yeah. in a little bit of a blue glow or <laughs> a a white blue. glow. Or
1: yeah, they're just like yeah. making the ingredients for their sword. And mm. when they got to sting, they were just like, and just a dollop of blue. Oh God, no! <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh no! Oh no! We put way too much blue in there. Now, as I was saying. Uh, Obviously, in the original trilogy, they just had two of those three swords that were found, and they said, okay, we're just going to have Sting be the one that like lights up, and uh, that'll be the more, more of the focus, because they didn't really speak too much. There was no focus on Gandalf's sword. Obviously, they were saying they were trying to get it to glow blue, but they didn't like the look of it visually, and then they never really mentioned it in the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy, so... Me, certainly, as a person who didn't know anything about the lore before I watched the movies, I had no idea that Gandalf was using a special yeah. elephant sword from the Elder Days or anything like that. So there wasn't really any, too many questions about it. Now, obviously, when they went back and made the Hobbit movies, now they showed how they found those swords and they needed to say that they were all powerful swords. But obviously, for, you know, for continuity they couldn't just say now Glamdring lights up yeah. and so does Orcrist. They were like, okay, let's just leave it the same way just to keep it uh, the same as The Lord of the Rings. Let's just have uh, Sting be the one that has the focus and that's the one that lights up. Yeah. So um, that would be the explanation for that. This is Orcrist, a famous blade forged by the high elves of the West. And this is Glamdring, the foe hammer, sword of the King of Gondolin. So yeah, so obviously then the question that a lot of people have is why don't all elvish swords glow? And why is Sting the only one that we see glowing in the movies? Yeah. And, and so yeah, there's there's a, a, some elvish swords do glow. Uh, now, not usually blue. There's a little bit of an argument to say, is it actually blue or is it not? Um, I think maybe Sting is the only one that's given some references of a blue light. And it kind of, sometimes it says, like a blue flame. And people are arguing online whether that means... It's actually a blue flame or it's like we should focus on the word like mean that has similar properties to a blue flame, meaning that it uh, is a strong flame and it's a cold flame or different things like that. But um, definitely the word blue is used a few times when they're speaking about sting in particular. So most other blades they just say it's kind of like a cold light. So, um Now, the reason we don't see, for example, in Helm's Deep, we don't see hundreds of blue swords or swords that are lit up. We don't see them flying around in Helm's Deep battle. Uh, And more importantly, at the battle at the beginning of the the Fellowship of the Ring, which is the the Battle of the the Last Alliance, um, is just basically because those swords obviously must not have been swords that were built uh, by... Uh, elves in the elder days in the first age and as we also said elves had the ability to put this um like sort of little detail into the swords that doesn't mean that they had to do that in every situ- in every case mm. now i was looking this up online i was looking into different details about these things and if i repeat part of the quote i read before from the fellowship of the ring where it says being the work of the, the, work of the elvish smiths, the smiths the in the, the elder the days, days These swords shone with a cold light if any orcs were near at hand. Now, I looked into this detail uh, online a little bit and I found on some forum, some person had a kind of a cool response. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have the name of the person, so I'm sorry about that. But they said that this quote could be interpreted as saying that all elven blades can glow, but that's not how we should interpret it. And they said, consider the following sentence, being the work of a talented carpenter, the tabletop was beautifully inlaid with delicate, hand-carved, interlacing floral patterns. Now, after reading that sentence, do you believe that talented carpenters are only capable of making tabletops with interlacing floral patterns and nothing else? Of course not. The sentence really means, if a tabletop is beautifully inlaid with delicate, hand-carved, interlacing floral patterns, the person who made it was surely a talented carpenter. Applying the same logic to the quote from the Fellowship of the Ring, we can probably say that it's really telling us if a blade glows in the presence of orcs, it must have been made by elvish smiths, most likely in the elder days. Assuming that this is, in fact, the case, it seems likely that all blades which glow in the presence of orcs are elven, but not every elven blade glows. Yeah. Makes sense. So, does that make sense? makes sense, but... There's
1: one, I don't know if this happens in the Hobbit book, but I'm pretty sure it happens in the movie when when they actually find the two swords, Gandalf immediately picks them up without knowing what the sword uh, without knowing what swords they are, but he just knows that they're elven swords and he goes they like this glows blue when orcs are near. Does he say that in the movie or is that only Bilbo that says it in in the in the in the fellowship?
0: Maybe maybe it's just Bilbo that says in The Fellowship when he gives it to, to Frodo. I feel like um, when, when Gandalf yeah. finds the
1: swords, he's like, oh, these are special. Uh, but he definitely doesn't say it about glamouring. He doesn't say these glow blue. So maybe he just says yeah. that they're elven swords and they're quite special mm. swords. Yeah, I'm not sure. But again, that's um, that's uh, that would be a movie thing.
0: But I would say now that both Glamdring and Orcrust were famous swords from the First Age. And they were actually famously both known as Beater and Biter. Mm. Those were the two names of these two swords. And there are stories in the past of how orcs used to fear these two swords. Like they were like, oh no, Beater and Biter are out there. So we're doomed. We're, we've got no chance. And they're, just, yeah. they're in battle and they just see these elves swinging these giant glowing swords around the face and it's just like it's like they're in a battle in middle earth and suddenly there's two guys with lightsabers (laughs) out there they're like oh my god yeah we don't have a chance so uh that's kind of like it is is. They're just kind of going oh
1: they've got jedis yeah what the hell so um yeah um (laughs) does does gandalf name his sword glamdring
0: doesn't he no i it's a good question no i believe it's called glamdring from before i think and does he just find it uh, no 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 i i think i remember that they bring them to rivendell ah and, yes uh, elrond can read the writing on the swords and he tells them that on the swords yeah. are written their yeah, names
1: very good and then and then in the movie as well because elrond's telling them about the swords and then that's when bilbo takes out sting which doesn't have a name and then the dwarf he might goes, oh don't bother lad it's just a a letter opener like that—that mm-hmm. that won't be a special sword, really. He's like, but uh, turns out to be quite special what indeed. A jerk. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Now that one didn't have a famous name, and it was yeah. named by Bilbo when he uh, when he was first fighting those spiders. Uh, spiders. The blade is of elvish make, which means it will glow blue when Orcs or goblins are nearby. I have never used a sword in my life. And I hope you never have to. Now, there are some other mentions of swords glowing in Tolkien's writing, but we should think that only swords from particular places and made in the First Age had this quality built into them. But let's look at some of the other examples. So, as we previously mentioned, Glamdring and Orcrist should both glow uh, in the movies, and we're told that they glowed in the books. But after that, it gets pretty hard to find exact moments of swords actually glowing or shining. So, in the Silmarillion, Turin Turambar's sword, the famous Mm -hmm. black sword, is described as glowing, though no mention is made of when orcs are near. So, a quote from the Silmarillion. The sword, Anglical, was forged anew for him by cunning smiths of Nargothrond. And though ever black, its edges shone with pale fire, and he named it Girthang, Iron of Death.
1: Very cool. So...
0: That's a really cool sword. And um, another possible mention of glowing swords would be of the elf Fingolfin and his sword Ringgill. So if I read another quote, Fingolfin, like a shooting light, beneath a cloud, a stab of white, sprang them aside and Ringgill drew, like ice that gleameth cold and blue, his sword devised of elvish skill to pierce the flesh with deadly chill.
1: Beautiful. It's like a Christmas... Christmas jingle, <laughs> it's like a limerick. No, interesting from the from the first quote uh, because we've probably never talked about it before. But it's interesting your pronunciation of how did you pronounce the city of uh, Nargothrond? Was it? Yeah, yeah because I mm-hmm. always read it as Nargothrond.
0: All oh, right, yeah. yeah. Well, again, I'm I, I haven't really looked into the details. Of- well,
1: I don't know, no. There's, like people, you know, everyone's going like minus tier minus tier, and I know there's correct terms, but even like the experts yeah. will will say one thing or kirtungo siarthungle. I've heard mm. them all before, but it is just interesting yeah. when we we've, we've probably never talked about it. But uh,
0: yeah, so what when, when you you're saying like when you've read uh, like the children of Húrin, you've read it as like Nargothrond, yeah,
1: Nargothrond. It- and I, I would say, yeah, Nargothrind. Yeah, no, your way sounds way cooler. I was like, oh, what is this? <laughs> um,
0: cool. Yeah, no, that is an interesting thing of just the way that you read them. Now, of course, uh, there are books that show you the correct pronunciation. Yeah. If you want to be a massive Tolkien nerd, <clears throat> there are... Actually, I believe in the in the Children of Huron in the book, there is like in the opening pages, it, it yeah. gives you some help into the, the pronunciation of some of the words from Tolkien. They're saying, anytime you see... A word beginning with C-E, it should be pronounced like K, so we have like a uh, Kelleborn and yeah. Celebrimbor and things like that. So, because I was always confused about that. I was like, it's just like yeah. Celeborn or Celeborn, but uh, yeah, it should be pronounced Celeborn. Yeah, it's, it's
1: confusing when all you have is to go off on the movies and then let's say you're playing the games and there's a Celeborn. I yeah. always said Celeborn. Yeah. I was like, I didn't have the, the visual aid. But they, yeah, that's the, very handy in in uh, mm. the children who are in, and they also have like at the end of the book they have like a dictionary. So you know whenever you see something pop up, you are like, Finn Golfin, what the what the hell is that? Is that a place or is that a person? And you can go in. You are like, ah, this is who he is and this is what he did or whatever.
0: Yeah, and also we should remember that we also yeah, have the handy. song by Cool and the Gang, which is Celebrate Good Times. Come on, so. Uh, <laughs> it's another way to help you know that it's (laughs) calibrated. Celebrimbor so yeah the heart
1: of Elvendom on earth realm of the Lord Celeborn, and of Galadriel Lady of Light I also think when you mentioned about uh, the black sword um, you said that it was glowing well maybe that's just someone was complimenting it as if they were complimenting a pregnant
0: lady (laughs) the sword is preggers Anyway, going back to that quote, it says, like ice that gleameth cold and blue. Now, this seems to indicate that the sword is glowing blue, but this is solely used for the poetic description in this Mm. uh, line. And this is from the Lay of Lethen, which is an unfinished version of the story of Beren and Luthien in verse. It's not generally accepted as canon since it was left unfinished and it predates the publication of The Hobbit, Tolkien actually abandoned it in 1931. Well. But it has some detail that no other versions of the story have. So people can decide whether Fingolfin's sword glowing is canon or not. The description of his sword Ringel in the Silmarillion is a little bit less detailed, where it just says, Fingolfin drew his sword Ringel that glittered like ice. Mm. Now, just before we move on, I want to give a final note on Fingolfin's sword, uh, again, which is called Ringel. Uh, it's widely considered by a lot of fans of Tolkien that this is the most powerful weapon in all of Middle-earth for the fact that it was used in one-to-one battle between Fingolfin and Morgoth. Now, Fingolfin wounded Morgoth using it and the Dark Lord walked with a limp ever after that battle. So this is an elvish sword that injured a demigod and the most powerful demigod at that as well. Remember that Morgoth Mm. is... A vala, and uh, at one point he was like holding off all the other uh, 14 valar on his own. So, um, he is second in power only to the god of Middle earth, Eru uh, Iluvatar And he managed to get injured by a sword crafted by the elves. So, that's a pretty damn powerful sword, yeah. Pretty damn powerful, all right. Yeah, moving on to Anduril. So, Dave. What Ooh. is Anduril and who is the owner of Anduril?
1: Tis the Flame of the West. Sure tis. Tis. Um, that's an Aragorn sword and it is Narsil Reforged. Mm, and, very uh, good. That's belief. correct. Aragorn calls it Anduril? I think so, yeah. He does. Yeah, so he coins Anduril Flame of the West. He does. That
0: is his sword and that is the end of that. That's the end of that matter <laughs> the end moving on uh, no just well that is basically it just to give you guys a couple more details about this sword this weapon's history can be traced back many millennia uh, to the well to the 5th century of the first age of middle earth and it was forged as the sword Narsal by the dwarven mastersmith Telkar of Nogrod, oh. who also created two other iconic artifacts Angrist uh, which was a knife an angry knife The angriest (laughs) knife Angriest The knife Of which it was said Quote Iron It would cleave As if it were green wood And This was a knife That Beren used To cut a Silmaril From Morgoth's Iron crown uh, Which is A pretty cool detail Uh, A pretty big moment In uh, Tolkien's lore And in the Silmarillion book Also This same Dwarven smith He also created The exceptionally heavy Dragon helm which was born by Turin, again, uh. from the children of Hurin. So we know that famous dragon helmet yeah. that was also created by the same dude. So this guy made that helmet. He made this dagger or this knife, which was used to, uh, which was used by the famous baron to cut the Silmaril out of Morgoth's crown. And it was also used, this same guy was the guy who forged uh, Narsil way back in the first century. Now, that's, cool that's kind of cool that we have a little bit of history of, like, this guy was obviously an amazing uh, smith, and he was a dwarf. So, that's another thing to remember. He was a dwarf who was doing... it was, So, this sword is from the First Age, but it was created by a dwarf. So, that's one of the other reasons why it definitely would not have had this glowing power in it, either. Yeah. Anduril, the flame of the West, forged from the shards of Narsil. But, Dave, what about any powers? Does... Anduril have any powers? Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember.
1: Flame of the West does it literally have like flamey powers, or <laughs> <laughs> do you know what's something that always confused me? I I know this is uh this is different, and it's not Anduril, but like do you know in this the two towers when they find Gandalf the White for the first time, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and Legolas shoots him. Um, Gimli throws an axe And then Aragorn's sword Like lights up And like yeah, Burns yeah. him mm-hmm. I always thought Like I'm, I'm still not sure Aragorn was doing that <laughs> I I, yeah, I, always thought like Because In the game There was a move you could do Where you hold down Like triangle or something And then his sword Like lights up Like flamey mm-hmm. And then he goes oh, and Kind of like your man in game,
0: of, in game of Thrones The, the guy that yeah. He follows the, the God of fire And he always lights up his sword What's his name?
1: Oh man, I don't remember. It's like Derek. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> the guy with the eye patch. he yeah. like
0: he gets killed loads of times, and then the he's drunk, got a serious. The voice, drunk priest he? is always like bringing him back to life. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Then that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. So he when he lights up his sword, I was like, that's so cool. So I'd love if Aragorn so was able cool. to light up his sword in the same way. But unfortunately, no. It doesn't have any powers of flame. It is called the Flame of the West. Um, Andúril
1: has no powers, no. It has There's no powers.
0: To... It has no powers. Oh, so, sake. well, useless. It has none that we know of. It wasn't it wasn't unbreakable, it didn't like wield itself, it didn't drink souls or anything like that like so um but after its reforging, remember the sword was originally called Narsal, and then it was reforged, it was reforged to become Andúril and after that it was inscribed with runes of protection. But other swords had these also, so that was nothing new. Now it was hmm. also a really ancient sword, originally forged by this dwarf smith, and uh, so I don't know. It came from a strong lineage, so it was definitely a really like powerful and strong sword. Like again, when I say powerful, I just mean uh, not in terms of it had like lighting up and firepower or anything, but it was just yeah. strong and uh, really well well made. Of course, by the best smiths. Now. It was obviously an incredible sword. It was forged by this dwarf. And then it was reforged by these uh, Noldoran elves, these Noldoran smiths. Uh, But apart from being a good weapon, its greatest value to Aragorn was probably as identification, basically. It was just like him carrying around his ID. And Baromir... He shows it to Sauron and freaks him out. He does. So Baromir, having been told in a dream to seek for the sword that was broken... Accepted Aragorn's lineage partly on the basis of seeing the shards of Narsal in Aragorn's possession. Um, mm. Aragorn used Anduril as ID upon meeting Eomer for the first time. He drew it as he named himself as Elendil's heir and demanded that Eomer decide whether to aid or thwart him. Um, <laughs> the Oathbreakers, also known as the Army of the Dead of Dunharrow, recognized the sword and thus acknowledged. Aragorn's status as heir of Isildur with the right to demand their allegiance in fulfillment of their oath. And a small note on that as well, in the movies, of course, Yeah. the first time I was thinking, does Anduril have any powers? I was thinking of the moment that the Witch King tries to fight him and he stops it with the blade. No, the and... King of the Dead.
1: The King of the Dead. Sorry, Try what did like... I He said the Witch King.
0: Oh, the Witch King. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's That's what I was thinking there as well. But like, it is... That's just kind of a movie thing and it's, it's more just that Aragorn is the the heir of Isildur.
0: Exactly, exactly. So in the book, it's not actually that the the King of the Dead swings the sword and he blocks it. it. It doesn't actually have that power. It's In the book, it's more that they recognize the sword and they say, oh yeah, of course, you are the heir to Isildur and you have the power to fulfill our oath. So it's mm. more, again, they recognize who he is because of the sword. And then, yes, as you said at the beginning, Aragorn uses the Palantir of Orthanc to show the sword reforged to Sauron and to declare openly his ancestry as the heir of the man who cut the ring from Sauron's hand. Mm. And in doing so, he drew Sauron's attention away from Mordor and away from Frodo. So that was probably one of the biggest powers that uh, Anduril actually had. Everyone who sees it is like, oh my God, you are the heir to Isildur. And um, yeah, that was one of its... Biggest things, I suppose. Speaking about light properties and, like you said, the flame of the West, maybe it has some sort of flame or some sort of things like that. Now, it doesn't really, but there are some quotes that I want to read out to you about uh, Andruil. So in The Fellowship of the Ring, we have a quote. Very bright was that sword when it was made whole again. The light of the sun shone redly in it, and the light of the moon shone cold. Its edge was hard and keen. And Aragorn gave it a new name and called it Anduril, Flame of the West. So there it's saying that it was very bright, it's saying, and that the sun shone in it and that the moon shone in it as well. And another quote from the Fellowship of the Ring. But even as the orc swept out his scimitar, Anduril came down upon his helm. There was a flash-like flame and the helm burst asunder. So again, little just details that Tolkien likes to slip in of a bit of light and flame.
1: Yeah, that's just Tolkien as well. Like he likes to add these little details. He could say the same thing about, you know, the dew drop on grass was like yeah, the ocean filling up with seaweed or I don't yeah. know, like it, it could be anything but Yeah, he does like to describe license. light
0: and flash and flashes and things like that mm. when he speaks. It's kind of like when you when you're watching the original Batman series and it's like pow, biff, yeah, yeah. bang. And it's like these sounds aren't actually real and they didn't actually say pow, but uh that's what the creators Wanted to show in those moments as well. But um, that's good. I have another quote here from the Silmarillion, which is, And the sword of Elendil filled orcs and men with fear, for it shone with the light of the sun and moon, and it was named Narsil. And the final quote I have is also from the Silmarillion, and now talking about the blade after it had been broken. But the blade was broken, and its light was extinguished, and it was not forged anew. So there, they're saying the, the the light was extinguished after this, this sword was broken. So that's kind of, um, that's another thing that actually Tolkien says a few times about certain swords that when something happens, like the sword gets broken, the, the the light was extinguished. And also we spoke about the black sword of Turin that at one point, its master Beleg gets killed by its own sword and uh, the light that apparently comes out from the sword Uh, it fades for a period of time. And they kind of say that it's almost like the sword is mourning its master's death. So um, that's something else that we can see that Tolkien likes to add as well. But in fact, the sheath that Galadriel gifts Aragorn seems to have more magical powers than the sword itself uh, because in uh, the chapter of The Farewell to Lorien, we have a quote that says, The blade that is drawn from this sheath shall not be stained or broken, even in defeat. So oh, we're, she we're being told there on, that like that she puts a spell on the sheath that's used, and so Aragorn, when he keeps his sword in that sheath, it basically means that that sword will never be broken or even stained. Um, so that's that. some kind of extra little like you know plus power that uh, Galadriel gives to, to Aragorn. Yeah, and his power sword. of cleanliness? Doesn't have to <laughs> yeah, wipe yeah. his blade every. Exactly. Time Whenever you finish
1: it. the battle, there, like everyone's like. Better go clean all the blood off my sword. And Argo's well, yeah. look at mine. It looks like it's just fresh out of the box. Yeah. <laughs> Very handy. Yeah.
0: This is a good sword. Now, just for one minute, I just want to look at the meaning in the names that uh, of that sword, both Narsil and Anduril. So the name Narsil comes from two Quenya words. Quenya being a form of Elvish, the High Elven language. Yeah, exactly. So, nar and sil. Nar means fire and sil means shine or silver light. So, Silmarils. Narsel would kind of be like a fire light. So, that's um, th- that's how we could think of that. Cool, yeah. And then it gets renamed by Aragorn and he calls it Andúril. Again, two more Quenya words which are Andu and Ril. So, Andu meaning west. But Tolkien specified it was not a sunset kind of, you know, the sunset in the West, so you could think of a flame, like the light of the sun going down. He said it's not specifically that, but more speaking about Numenor, which is the region of men in the West, which fits because uh, it's supposed to be the reforging of the kings of Numenor, like putting that, uh, that line back together again, the line of the kings. So that's what Tolkien said, that that was more, that's why they mentioned the West. And then the second part, Rill Can you think of any words That finish with the word rill Or finish with rill Dave Silmaril, Yeah Silmarill Perfect Very very good Any other ones So like uh,
1: s- sil was uh, the, the, Was part of narsil Which you said Which was pretty Exactly cool. sil
0: was a shine Silver or Silver light But then rill Another rill Means um, glittering or brilliance So you're correct The silmarills uh, Silmarill They are uh, jewels That have this really brilliant light I suppose Kind of imagine like the arkenstone stone. Brill uh, so, glittering or brilliance, basically. So, what other thing uh, that Frodo owns? Mithril. 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 Uh, His yeah. mithril coat. So again, that's another word. So, mithril, silmaril. These two words are other ones like anduril, and that all means this glittering or this brilliance. So that's kind of cool as well. I thought. It's
1: class. It's it's so cool, and you always wonder how. How smart the characters are in it that they're like right. I'm gonna call it this and that. Like you know, he probably has the sword about five minutes. And he's like, Andural, flame and of the a Perfect name. Andu exactly. is from the West exactly. and real yeah, yeah. is from like shining, glimmering, or whatever. Oh, they're all genius. I'd like, just be like, I'd call mine like the the. I don't even know. John. I call it the
0: yeah the owie giver or something. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, the no no sword. <laughs> <laughs> I call mine the wooden spoon. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually a great one because it strikes fear into the heart of, of anyone that hears it. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that's a, that, that's a new one. What, what would you guys call your sword if you if you just had one reforged and mm. you had to you had to give it a name? What would it be? For you named your sword.
0: Lots of people name their swords. Lots of cunts. So the final sword that I want to talk about is the sword called Girthang. Which, again, I want to mention again, is the sword that Turin, Turumbar, uh, used to use. So, it's not
1: all about the length. Sometimes it's about the girth thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no! Terrible, <laughs> terrible. Right, so in the first stage, there was a dark elf called Eol. And he just kind of stumbled upon this meteorite. So it was not from the earth. It, he found this meteorite, this black meteorite. And from it, he forged two swords. So from this uh, unearthly rock that he found, he, he forged these two swords. And they were black and had glowing edges and could easily slice through iron. So Girthang was the sword of Turin-Turumbar, reforged from Anglachel, which was the name of the original sword that this dark elf uh, created. So Anglikel was uh, the sword wielded by Beleg Strongbow who was one of Turin's best friends, and Beleg died in a tragic turn of events from his own sword. Now, after the sword was reforged, Turin renamed it Girthang, which meant Iron of Death, and Turin himself became known as Mormigil, which meant the Black Sword, due to his legendary status on the battlefield and for slaying enemies by the hundreds. Um, But... There is definitely one very strange and unique power that this sword has that's mentioned uh, towards the end of The Children of Hurin. And I don't want to give any spoilers for people who haven't read that book, so I'm going to try and leave out a couple of details. But at one point in the story, the sword appears to speak to Turin. And Mm -hmm. Turin is distraught, and thinking about the amount of death he has doled out through Gerthang, he asks the sword if there is no one who it would not kill. Not even himself. And he says to the sword, Hail, Girthang! No lord or loyalty dost thou know, save the hand that wieldeth thee. From no blood wilt thou shrink. Wilt thou therefore take Turin to Rambar? Wilt thou slay me swiftly? And from the blade rang a cold voice in answer Yea, I will drink thy blood gladly, that so I may forget the blood of Beleg my master and the blood of Brandir slain unjustly. I will slay thee swiftly.
1: Oh, I got goosebumps there. That's pretty
0: badass. It's, like, it's kind
1: of spooky as well. It's like Macbeth or something.
0: Yeah, it's cold-blooded from that sword. Yeah. Just be like, I will slay thee swiftly. Uh, yeah,
1: I, to forget my master's blood.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 one thing I really enjoyed about reading The Children of Uren is the way that they speak in that as well. It's really cool that, like, Thou it's like uh, Romeo or Romeo. Yeah, it is kind of similar, but I definitely found it easier to read than uh, some Shakespearean things. So it sounds oh, quite Shakespearean, but it's definitely, um, I don't know, it's just nonstop action. So uh, if, if anybody uh, wants a recommendation for a good Tolkien book out there to read, that's one that I would definitely recommend, The Children of Hurin. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty badass from the sword to kind of just... Yeah. Uh, how it says that from the blade rang a cold voice in answer and it's like, "oof, that's uh that's pretty sweet."
1: I want to I we we discussed we discussed it already, um but that's an adaption I'd love to see in like a movie or TV series. I don't oh, see yeah. how they do these things and make it weird. Like they they admitted a lot of the weirdness from the Lord of the Rings and fair enough, but I think audiences are ready for some weirdness at this point. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> how do you mean how do you mean weirdly? do you know like I don't think if they made the children of Hurin 20 years ago in in, in in let's say they made that instead of the Lord of the Rings they definitely wouldn't have talking swords and um, what else uh, there's loads of weird things but that they definitely wouldn't have the sword talking and that's one thing I'd like to
0: see. yeah I don't know but like again it, this this also was at a moment where Turin was completely distressed and distraught and like Again, as I said, I don't want to give away spoilers, Mm. but like he'd just been through the ringer. He'd just been like, he just got serious, some like loads of stuff had happened. And then he got some serious life-changing news in this moment. He was like, oh my God. And it's like, some people would say like his mind just kind of broke in two and he kind of, he was losing his mind. And so maybe that's kind of the way, maybe the sword didn't really speak to him. Yeah, uh, And it was him just kind of imagining it and going crazy I like to personally think that the sword actually spoke to him Because for me, I think it's just so kind and, it.
1: Yeah And I, 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 and it's just like
0: the sword was like thirsty for his blood I was like, I'll definitely kill you, don't worry about it
1: I just imagine the sword has the same voice of Venom Have you seen the Venom movie where it's like Eddie, give me some blood
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, I'm imagining more like a, a Like a, a whispery like I will gladly drink thy blood and uh, yeah <laughs> so that's kind of what i was imagining
1: that's definitely pure macbeth very freaky mm. 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 good you
0: cannot just go around eating anybody
1: that you want to i cannot no you cannot you will only ever be allowed to touch harm hurt possibly very possibly eat very very bad people but never ever ever good people all right fine mm-hmm.
0: So that's it for another episode here on the Council of Elrond. Thanks so much for listening, and hopefully you've come away knowing a bit more about these cool blades of Middle-earth, and also what the hell is going on with the sword's glowing blue. As always, we would be delighted if you got in touch with us to say hello, or to give us some suggestions on what you would like to hear us discuss on this weekly podcast. You can find the links to our social media in the podcast info section, along with our Buy Me A Coffee account, where you can also sponsor the podcast by donating the price of a cup of coffee. As always, that's only if you're feeling generous, and either way, we will continue providing this content for free. Thanks so much, as always, and on behalf of the Melonheads, we'll speak to you soon.